0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Are Maroon and Gold, a podcast featuring me, Chandler Ellsbecker. And me, Aaron Williams. Aaron, I have a concert-related question for you.
1: Uh, Is it, are you ready for some football? Just kidding. What is it? What's the question? What's the question?
0: What is the shortest amount of time you've had between concerts for the same artist?
1: That is a good question. I thought I've actually kind of thought about this lately because I saw last night, I saw the dropkick Murphys with opener Jamie Wyatt. And I saw Jamie Wyatt is opening for Nikki Lane in three weeks at the fine line. So I thought about doing that, seeing her three weeks apart cause she's really a great country singer, but um, I have to think about that probably I know I saw Government Mule two times in a week. I mean, it, well, I mean, the answer would be one day if you count, like, the same run. You know, like, I like if I saw, like, when I saw, like, Billy Strings back in last November, I saw him two nights in a row. Um, or, like, I'm going to see Humphreys McGee two nights in a row in February. But as far as, like, the same tour, yeah, Government Mule in 2019, I think, I saw twice in a week. I think the hold steady I saw probably a week and a half apart, two weeks apart in Chicago and Minneapolis. But yeah, the answer would definitely have to be a run where I saw the band two night, the same band two nights in a row. I guess the question would be have I seen a band, if it counts, does a band splitting, splitting their set in a night and seeing another band in between at a festival count? I don't think that counts.
0: I do think the, uh, Two nights in a row does count because even if it's the two nights that are at the same venue or in the same city, like that's the crux of it. Like just like how many people, whenever a, an artist is doing two shows in a city, only go to one show. That's probably the average person, right?
1: Yeah, depending on the depending on the band, but yeah, in the style.
0: Well, I'm I'm sure you know that whenever Pearl Jam does Wrigley, if they do two nights and in the span of three days, then there'll probably be a lot of people there at both.
1: Or obviously, Dead and Company, you know how it is. Um, Any band I'll rotate set list, I'd say. But yeah, go on. Yeah.
0: Well, I I asked because it looks like I might be doing, um, what is that? That'll be twice in four days. Seeing Big Thief in February. Nice, nice. We're at uh the first. So so, so originally, this was just going to be in Austin. Uh Already got tickets for that. Asked my younger brother, who does not listen to Big Thief, if he might want to go because he has a car and I won't have a car in Texas. And he said, sure. So that was a neat surprise. Got the tickets for that. And then yesterday, I did an email saying that Big Thief has announced a a show for Dallas uh, that Sunday right before the, the night of the Super Bowl. Um, and if I'm going to be in Dallas, Fort Worth at the time, who's to say I don't eat some some nice uh, smoked meats my dad will probably have made for the Super Bowl, and then, then like halftime, go to Dallas and see one of my favorite artists, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, right on, right on. I would say, yeah, you could probably. I don't know. I mean, I remember when. I just remember this year when Bruce Dickinson did his spoken word tour. Yes, Super Bowl. There were one dollar tickets. So yeah, you might. You, yeah, that's that's that seems very almost shrewd. Unless the Vikings make it, but if we don't, which we probably won't, um, you know, that's a good. That's a good. That's that was, a good, that's a good that was my exact thought is, okay, well, if, what if the Vikings
0: make it? And this, the, the immediate thought was also, therefore, uh, no, um, they're not going to. But, you know, could be wrong. They could actually sneak in. Um, but it wouldn't be that hard to resell the ticket, I don't think. Because at that point, it's just get back to whatever you can. And I've bought tickets for concerts before that I haven't been able to go to and then not been able to. Sell them, Um, and I think if there's any person on the planet I would want to watch a Vikings Super Bowl with, it would be my dad. So, you know, I'm gonna see the win. Yeah, yeah, it would would be a pretty easy win, Uh, assuming the Vikings also win. You know. Yes. But uh, so we'll, we'll 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 stay abreast of that situation as it approaches just as uh we will stay uh stay privy to the gophers this is a very poor attempt at a transition i'm sorry but um the gophers are seven and three last time we spoke they were five and three
1: right yep yep better seven is a bigger number than five i know that to be true
0: um sorry for missing last week uh i picked up some kind of bug while in lincoln um which is very unpleasant. But um, Lincoln was not unpleasant. I thought it was a very neat town, even if it made me ill. Um, but it was a a, a good come for behind win for the Gophers then, and they followed it up with a rather resounding, not terribly interesting, uh, thirty one to three win over a very bad Northwestern team. Because this will go up on Friday, we'll keep our thoughts here fairly brief. Uh, what thoughts do you have on that one?
1: Uh, it was boring, but we won, you know, it was kind of like the Rutgers game. We just kind of physically manhandled a lesser opponent, which has been kind of the story in these, when we blow out teams in the last couple of years, it's just, it felt just like a lot of those games, you know, um, we were, we were just too big and too good, um, too physical for them. And Mo ran like a madman and, you know, despite, uh, the quarterback not looking very good, um, and despite kind of a slowish start, ultimately ended up dominating them, uh, with the obvious caveat being Northwestern had a real, real tough quarterback situation and a real tough offensive line situation, despite having a potential first round pick on that line.
0: Yeah, I was kind of underwhelmed by the passing game. I, I mean, it was, it was very cold. This is the the first proper cold game that have played in this year, um, And whenever you try moving your your ungloved fingers in the cold, you know, you may not be able to drip things as tightly. So I wonder if Ethan Kelly mannis was having some problems dripping the ball because some of his throws were just... They weren't really close.
1: No, Uh, very inaccurate. But,
0: you know, like you said, this was a very good day for the pass rush. Josh Oyner continues to look really good. Uh, I think... Sturonski could have been called for a few more holding penalties than he was, because Joiner was giving them some real fits. Uh, only came out of the game with half a sack and no other official statistics, but PFF gave him five pressures, which seems about right. He's he's really starting to, you know, build a greater. Um, I don't know. He's, he's starting to to look like a player you'll be able to trust to start next year, which is kind of important because that position, the five technique, is becoming pretty crowded on the depth chart with Jalen Loden Redding um, and then Anthony Smith, who a lot of people are already thinking of as a potential NFL prospect whenever he does get on the field. You know, it's it's going to be kind of a, a tight situation to, to you know, to fend him off. Um, and, and Joyner looks like he's asserting himself as someone who might start at that position all of next year. Uh, there were some other concerns, a few big plays here and there, but, you know, it is uh, worth noting that Northwestern <laughs> was pretty terrible. And, and you know, y- you don't like the things that uh, showed up in those big plays, the missed tackles, the, the, the coverage busts. But, on the other hand, when when they're completing passes while the quarterback is getting absolutely walloped, you know, you're know you at least doing part of your job right. So th- there's reason for concern, but I'm not like in incredible fear, especially knowing the two teams that are left on the schedule, especially this next one is not too explosive an offense,
1: to say the very least. I was going to say, you could say that. That's, that's sugarcoating it. We could
0: talk about that opponent now. If you want, to just jump straight into it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So obviously, Iowa's coming to town. They probably will be hitting the road tomorrow. And uh, right now, they're six and four. They're bowl eligible after beating Wisconsin 21 to 10 last week. Four and three in the Big Ten, which puts them in a four-way tie with the Gophers, with Wisconsin, uh, and- not
1: Wisconsin, right?
0: Uh, Yes, you're correct. It's Illinois and Purdue. Wisconsin is alone in fifth place, my mistake.
1: And uh,
0: Iowa's path to winning the Big Ten West is pretty straightforward. They win out, then they win the division. Um, Minnesota needs to probably win out and have Purdue lose one of their two games. Um, I imagine there's a scenario where if Minnesota wins just one but Purdue somehow loses both which they won't then Minnesota can still win but that probably also relies on some other stuff the bottom line is the Jophers probably need to win out and that starts with beating this team which you look at one side of, of Iowa as a roster and you think okay this is this has to be the year you get them and then you looked at the other side
1: and I mean it it, it might be the best defense in the country <laughs> Yeah, a really, truly right. impressive recipe for miserable football, as we've seen time and time again with Iowa this year. Yeah, I'll just
0: – I'll I'll roll off the – rattle off the projections just off the top here because right now the over-under is 31.5. Oh, my goodness. SP Plus has Minnesota winning 18-14. FEI has the final score being 14.7 to 12.6. Massey has it as a 17-14, and uh, CFB drafts has it far more optimistically than I think they should be, 22.7 to 18.0. Um, this is going to be an abject game of football, just wretched. That's before we even get to the weather. <laughs> it's supposed to be mid-teens, winds approaching 16 miles per hour, starting at 3 o'clock, so we could be hitting – Maybe even 10 degrees by the time the game is over, and uh, for those of you at home, you're gonna have to sit through Tim Brando too. So it's gonna be even more miserable for those of you in your warm living rooms than it is going to be for me in the stadium. But we'll start with the offense here. Uh, it's very Iowa e, just in terms of style. You know, lots of 12 personnel. They're gonna throw their they're gonna throw it a lot to Sam Laporta. They're very good tight end. Not quite George Kittle. No offense level tight end in my opinion, but he is very good. They're going to occasionally bring out their fullback, Bonnie Pottebaum, who has gotten six touches on the year. And that's about probably what we should expect for the year. Last year was actually up to 19, but Ooh. you will always have to worry about the fullback dive or the fullback wheel route. Um which I, I just got to say, I, I hate that this is the team that uses the fullback so much because I do love me a good fullback. Expect end rounds, They've been using Arlen Bruce that way a good bit. Um, he's up to 11 carries this year. He missed the Wisconsin game, but um, seems to be a decent shot at playing this Saturday. Their quarterback, Spencer Petras, is bad. We all know this; his accuracy can fluctuate pretty wildly. He'll bounce balls in front of receivers. He's not mobile. Um, he's just not good. And sometimes he'll make really bad decisions too, despite being a fifth-year player.
1: Um, yeah, you know, you'd think somebody's around around this long, and you know, you'd think they would get better. Whereas it feels like with Petrus, he's just kind of gotten worse.
0: Yeah, that that's. That's really been the feeling on it. Um, This year, he's averaging six yards per attempt. He's got five interceptions to five touchdowns. This is probably the worst year he's had as a starter, and I think a lot of that has to do with what's around him. Mm -hmm. The steel positions are even weaker than they've been in years past after losing Jones and Tracy to Purdue, and I believe Tyler Goodson was on the roster last year, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, and he's in the NFL now, if I'm remembering correct. And
0: then, obviously, losing their great center, Tyler Linderbaum to the NFL as well. They are just awful on the offensive line. I, so there there were 10 total sacks in the Wisconsin game between the two teams. And, I mean, Wisconsin had six of them. This is a, a group that is not totally inexperienced, but is real, real bad. They ranked 127th in line yards per carry, 126th in opportunity rate, 125th in stuff rate, and then 125th in the sack rate, uh, to put that a little little more digestible terms here. Spencer Spencer Petras last year behind a bad offensive line was sacked 24 times over the full season, and uh, so far this year he's been sacked 30 times. Wow. He, He gets just clobbered back there. And without a whole lot of receiving talent to throw to, without a uh a good offensive coordinator, here's the Brian Farrington have his job part of the show today. This is the type of team you should be able to get after. And I forgot to mention also their right guard, Bo Stevens, who's a redshirt freshman kind of illustrate where they are um he left the game against wisconsin and turk to described him this week as questionable at best so they're gonna have a backup guard in the game as well this is a game where you should get after the quarterback and you should get after the quarterback a lot i i, I think you should be able to get some pressure get some sacks rushing just four Um, And the more pressure you put on the quarterback, the more likely it is he will generate turnovers, you know, force a bad decision, also perhaps disrupt his throw. And that's kind of a vital thing, which we'll get to when we talk about the Iowa defense. But I think if you can sit back in coverage, get pressure with four, if you make sure you get in Laporta's way, then I think you should be fine. And uh, I'll also say you do sort of have to worry about the running back, Caleb Johnson, a true freshman who is averaging 5.2 yards per carry this year, but that is slightly misleading. He's been, because he's behind such a uh, bad offensive line, he has been pretty boom or bust. You look at his yards per carry from from when he started getting regular touches uh, against directors, 3.9 yards, Michigan, 2.7, Illinois, 2.9, Ohio State, 2.5 then Northwestern 7.2 yards, and then Purdue 9.1 yards per carry, uh, and then this past week you had Swiss 2.6 yards per carry. He is fully capable of breaking off a big run and hurting you, but he's just he's never going to get that space most likely if you do your jobs and if you win at the offensive line,
1: which you should. And this is the the run defense has not been a concern for this team generally. Just been 99 times out of 100 with this, you know, last year and this year both.
0: Yeah, and there have been a few big runs here and there. You may re, uh, remember. Um, I mean, obviously Nick Singleton got his uh, yeah. a few times, but uh, and then. Um, Machabee. yeah devin Mackaby the a purdue running back he got that one really big run but in, in general you're right the, the minnesota has not been as good as preventing explosive plays as a year ago but that's i think been more of an issue with the secondary than with the run defense um, this has been a team that is pretty good at avoiding explosive plays and they're going up against a team that does not get explosive plays so um The Iowa defense, meanwhile, under Phil Parker, who is very good at his job, it remains Iowa Eaton style. Um, Lots of cover two, four-man rush, uh, kind of a 4-2-5 with a hybrid slot defender, which they call the cash. That's kind of their heavier nickelback. This year, the cash is Sebastian Castro, who is actually there because of some injuries at cornerback um because they've moved the ears uh the, the guy who was opening that cash this year Cooper Dejean they've moved him to cornerback and he has been exceptional um opposite rally Moss so uh they now have two elite cornerbacks Dejean is up to seven pass breakups four interceptions Moss has eight pass breakups in an interception to go with two forced fumbles he
1: has also been there just
0: forever <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, he, he's using his extra year of eligibility here. Uh, He—he's he, this is his third year starting. He's—he's uh, he's a really good player, and yeah, he's been around for a really long time. <laughs> so is there a strong safety, Kayvon Merriweather, who's was another guy you gotta look out for. Up to uh, six passes defense to force fumble, two tackles, two at two tackles for loss. Quinn Schulte, the free safety, former walk on. He makes plays, but he's not quite the star that the other three guys are. Um, And Castro doesn't really make that much of an impact. He does his job. When he's not in the game, Castro, they have a, a Leo linebacker, which since Justin Jacobs went down against Rutgers, Uh, has been Seth Benson, but Benson is in a starting pairing with Jack Campbell. They bring in Jay Higgins as a third linebacker. And Campbell and Benson are both very, very good. Campbell last year, 98 and a half tackles. He's an All-American linebacker. He's going to the NFL like a bunch of other Iowa linebackers before him. Benson, uh, a redshirt senior, has done very well in his own right. What we're going to talk about, the the thing up front with them but the second level is very very strong uh, it's why iowa right now is first in explosiveness allowed according to collegefootballdata.com, and why they've allowed just 4.2 yards per non-sat carry this is uh an elite defense it, it, it it's mainly an elite pass defense that um, keeps you from doing more than the incremental stuff Running the ball. And the reason I put it that way is because you look at what Michigan was doing, and they were able to actually move the ball fairly decently. They they ran up the middle pretty well. They were able to use some end arounds, complete some short passes, and move the ball down the field pretty effectively. And unlike Ohio State, they were able to, they were able to do this without short fields. Um, now, Ohio State, obviously, they stored 54, but Michigan stored 27 without a whole lot of turnovers. Um, and I, I, there are two caveats to put on that. Um, one, Michigan has a better offensive line than Minnesota. It's fair to say. Uh, also, Michigan has better receivers But I would also point out um, Blake Corum. Uh, I I thought the way he was getting some of his yardage was by, you know, quick cuts, good vision, finding creases in the offensive line, which where do I know? Where, 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 where have I heard that before? Yeah. It's a trait that is, is common with, uh, between Corum and Muhammad Ibrahim. So I, I think, I was going to be more willing to sell out against the run because they won't consider as much of a threat in the passing game as Michigan is able to present. But also, I mean, you know, Michigan's style of play, they, they, they like to man ball it up as much as anyone in the big 10 West, just they have better skill talent than the teams in the big 10 West. So uh, I think when you look at the defensive line for Iowa, this is probably their closest thing to a weakness. For their defensive tackles, Logan Lee and Noah Shannon, and to be clear, are good. They get tackles for loss, they disrupt your day. They're they're going to cause some issues. But Lee is 275 pounds, Shannon is 289 pounds, and the guy behind them on the depth chart, Lucas Van Ness, who's the, probably their best pass rusher. He's 275 pounds. This is a very, very light defensive in interior uh, of, of the line. The ends are also fairly light, or at least Joe Evans, the right end, 246. Uh, I think you should be able to run between the tackles, specifically you know, maybe even just through the A-gaps between the guards. So far this year, Iowa – like you said uh, they're their second in the explosiveness law against the run, but thirty first in success rate allowed against the run. whereas you just you can't throw any at all against them, but you you should be able to piecemeal your way sometimes to a drive. Just you I, I think one, you have to take care of the ball. That's a given. This is a team that lives off turnovers. I don't think this was I don't they scored twenty four against Wisconsin last week, and it felt like a very normal way for Iowa State store 24, where they got a lot of turnovers. Graham Mertz, you may have heard, is not a very good quarterback. So if you avoid giving them short fields, if you catch the ball, if you present any sort of threat in the passing game, again, they're not going to allow you much, but if you present any sort of threat, if you're able to move the ball in any way, even occasionally, outside of just force feeding Ibrahim, and if you're able to be a little bit creative, keep them off balance slightly, then I think you should be able to run the ball better than some teams have been able to run the ball against Iowa. I'm not going to go any, you know, more superlative than that because again, this is, this is a really, really good team. Yeah. It's going to be very, very hard to move the ball. If Ethan Kelly, Manis is your starter Well, I'll just ask, how do you feel about the idea of Anthony Kelly Manis going up against the Iowa defense?
1: Not as good as I did a week ago. Um, He played very well against Nebraska in that second half, no doubt. Um, certainly led the, uh, led the charge and, um, you know, presented a more versatile, um, threat while still maintaining some efficiency, uh, last week against Northwestern that obviously wasn't there. The efficiency, um, nor really were, you know, many big plays, but, I think he does offer more versatility than Tanner Morgan does at this point. He offers you more multi-dimensional just with his legs. He's got a little bit bigger of an arm, um, you know. So if he, if he can just be more accurate than he was last week, I mean, I know the weather's just going to be worse. So if we chalk it up to that, then I don't know uh, what that what that signals. But I, either way, I don't, I don't really like the matchup. I, again, like you said, it's a really good defense kind of against anybody. But for a freshman quarterback, albeit now one who's got a little bit of experience under his belt, and some of which has been you know again very positive. Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's it's, it's, a, it's a tough matchup. I don't know if it's you know first game national tv in you know and in, in Happy Valley or whatever, but uh it's it it's going to be a grind certainly.
0: I feel like if Tanner Morgan is healthy, he's going to play last week was probably Cali Manis's shot to try and prove he Deserves to even be considered, and you know how football coaches are. You know specifically how PJ is about Tanner Morgan, and huh. just we don't know what the status of Tanner Morgan is is the thing. So I I would expect if he's healthy, then he'll get the start. But I don't know if he's healthy or not. I will I I do think JJ McCarthy had a little bit of success running the ball against Iowa, which I, you know you mentioned the multi dimensional threat that Kelly Manus is compared to Morgan, I, w- I would say that is something that would give you an edge there, even if it is ever so slight. Yeah. We, of course, while we're here, have to mention the punter, Tory Taylor, who
1: is a legitimate I loved, weapon. I loved his last album. Is this a, a, a Corey Taylor joke? This is a Corey Taylor joke. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar, but Corey Taylor is the the lead singer of Slipknot and Stone. He from Iowa. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know. But yeah,
0: I I I just I wanted to make sure that's where we were going. Yes. Yes. So rock 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 on Corey. Yeah. Well, Corey Taylor is an Aussie, and uh, he's one of the best punters in America. Um, you already saw. Adam Torsack for Rutgers have a really, really good day in Minneapolis, and you get to see the West's Adam Torsack, Torrey Taylor. He's the perfect type of punter for what Io wants to do, which is to say he's really doing and he hits the ball a mile, because they want to drag you into these games where you've got 80 yards to go every single time, where you're worried about, we might be able to run the ball up the middle, we might be able to pick up these fourth and shorts. But you're just so worried about giving the other team a short field and you're always facing a long field when you get the ball and you have to play the field position game and you have to be more concerned about turnovers than you otherwise normally would be, because there's a good chance that even if Iowa isn't going the distance of the field, they're gonna pin you at the five. And it's all this sort of this cascading thing on special teams where Mark Crawford has to be up to it. I'm not expecting him to be it an All-American level or anything, but he's got to do his job when he's in the game. Twenton Redding has to do his job when he's in the game to make sure these 55-yard punts only end up netting 48 or so. Um, it's, uh, it, this is a, a, a game where special teams are really going to matter. Um, just all of these little things are going to add up in such a low-storing game where both of these teams do not play fast at all um so they're going to see few possessions and a lot of three and outs so i don't know i I, a lot has to go right but also i i think you you can easily look at the iowa offense and say a lot has to go right for them as well this is this is a game where both teams might be playing uphill to put it one way yeah um what do you think the store
1: will probably look like I think it's really just going to come down, and I, I know it's a cliche, and it's true of every game to some extent. It's just really going to come down to turnovers and just one or two big plays. I think um, I'll say 13 to 10 Gophers, but you, you could easily flip that. It's 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 a it's a 50 50 game to me. That's the exact story I had down in my notes as well. This is this is going to be
0: really close. And I, I think whoever takes care of the ball better will win. And and whoever is able to steal a possession, whether through a turnover or a big fourth down conversion or maybe a big special teams play like a return or a blocked kick, there there, there are so many ways in which this game could turn. And in some ways, that is why it is going to be really compelling, um, because it is possible for these types of games to be really compelling. But I think it will also be a slog. (laughs) A a slog that will only take three hours, but a slog nonetheless. Yes. I hope anyone who's going to the game and just stay warm drinks your hot chocolate and your chicken broth or whatever, because it's going to be most unpleasant. Elsewhere in the Big Ten this week, Illinois goes to Michigan, 11 o'clock on ABC. That looked more compelling two weeks ago, fair to say? Yep, hope for no surprises. Yeah, hope for no surprises. Indiana goes to Michigan State, 11 a.m. on BTN. Don't watch that one. Hope Indiana
1: Wisconsin. picks up some, some late-season momentum.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Wisconsin goes to Lincoln, 11 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, Wisconsin is 5-5 five and five now, and, uh, you know, last two games against Nebraska and Minnesota, I would expect they're probably going to beat the Huskers. Uh, and therefore, did bowl eligible. But um, it would be kind of neat if the Huskers gave us uh, a favor, and next week the DoFers had an opportunity to keep Wisconsin out of a bowl game. That'd be pretty fun, I think. Absolutely. Northwestern at Purdue is an 11 a.m. takeoff on FS1.
1: Pray for a miracle.
0: Yeah. Ohio State, Maryland, 2:30 on ABC. And Penn State, Rutgers, two thirty on BTN, or your other afternoon games in the Big Ten. What are the interesting games happening elsewhere in the country?
1: Yeah, so it doesn't feel like as great of a week just with the a bunch of SEC teams playing various non-SEC teams, frankly. Um, so there's there's I mean there's a few games that are interesting. I don't think TCU and Baylor. Baylor's kind of fallen off. I don't I don't know about UConn and Army i um, just looking through this again. Uh, West Virginia has looked kind of up and down, but they beat Oklahoma last week. So maybe, maybe they, maybe they give K-State something. Uh, Arizona coming off a big win against Washington State. Uh, obviously their quarterback played for Washington State last year. I expect Washington State to kind of roll. Uh, but, you know, you never know. Arizona's up this year. Is that a Pac-12
0: network game?
1: It is, yeah.
0: Jaden um, Delora. I I tweeted this last week. Jaden Delora is the perfect Pac-12 after dark quarterback. He
1: is he's a wild boy. Yes. Um, I like I like ECU Houston. I think those teams are kind of even enough to make it make it compelling. Um, what else do we even have? I mean, the day is really pretty not great. I mean, Kentucky's fallen off the map, so that the Georgia game does not look It looked like it had a percentage of a chance to be interesting, but now I don't think that'll be interesting. That team lost to Vanderbilt last week. And then, I mean, and then in the night, the night games are where kind of the energy is, I think. Those Pac-12 games, obviously, USC at UCLA and then Utah, um, Utah at Oregon. I think I expect Oregon to win that game despite losing. Last week, but those are those are all, those are all really good teams, and I think those will be pretty fun, especially the UC USC at UCLA.
0: Yeah, I uh, I I look forward to watching both of those games. I think that'll be a lot of good entertainment here.
1: And then I and do yeah, want to USC
0: UCLA, by the way, always one of the most beautiful games of the year because it's color on color.
1: Yes. Um. The other thing I was going to say is you'd have to. You'll probably shut out the FCS games, but. My friend is uh, I and Bo- lives in Bozeman, so you know. Oh, is he is he going? He's he's at least going to game day. Yeah, he's getting on a bus at 5 a.m. or something to to get down there. So, well,
0: uh, for those of you unaware, the Brawl of the Wild is this weekend, one o'clock ESPN Plus. We have nine and one Montana State hosting seven and three Montana, two uh, really really good Big Sky teams, uh, who hate each other. And Montana State has a stadium I really want to go to because it is impossibly tight. You know, however tight Oklahoma State looks on television, you know, how close the walls are to the the field, Montana State is even closer. Um, and it's really intermittent. It's in Montana. And uh, I don't know, th- th- those two things I think are enough of a reason to want to go to a game like this, especially against a hated rival with college game day in town.
1: Yep. Go, uh, go, cats. Go, cats.
0: Um, I can't think of any other really great FCS games to watch this weekend. Um, North Dakota plays North Dakota State, and North Dakota State seems mortal this year. Mm-hmm. Saint Thomas is at Butler, and Saint Thomas is nine and one on the year. Um, it's like won the conference, right? At least a share i think yeah i guess they probably would have then um if they're allowed to I just, they are they're just
1: not allowed to compete in the postseason
0: okay i would bet youngstown state against southern illinois has some fcs playoff implications but i'm not certain i'm not a bracketologist uh, for the for the fcs level um i was listening to split zone duo and, and was made aware of um possibility of a four-way tie in the ivy league nice um but we don't have to get into those permutations um I don't know, i'm not i'm not gonna try to list off more fcs games but i will tell you uh boise state wyoming is a big game in the mountain west mm-hmm. where i think it'll decide basically the uh, the west division um and neither team is particularly good, but it might be worth checking out just to, just to see it. And I, I imagine this time of year we might get snow in Laramie. I'm not really sure, but um, you know, a nice November game in Laramie is uh, I don't know feels like a, a classic um, late season watch to me. Any other games we should mention before we get out of here?
1: Uh, your 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 Texas Tech Red Raiders are fighting for bowl eligibility against a mediocre team.
0: That they are. Um, it's a and they got two mediocre teams left because next do week do. is
1: Oklahoma. They do, yeah. But one is, I think, I part of just the name name brand. I can't imagine Oklahoma is worse than Iowa State, but they they know they've lost a bunch of games. So who, who am I to say, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I mean. The, the, the two teams I've seen lose by the most this year are Western Illinois and Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah. So who's to say? But yeah, Wreckham and, uh, you know, let's go get that pig. I hope everyone eats their pork product of choice if you are not, you know, religiously bound against eating pork or otherwise bound against eating pork. But time to get festive for this game. And hopefully, hopefully, for the first time since I became a student at the U of M. The first will win this game. Have a good weekend, everyone.
1: See ya.